This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Great. Tonight we're entitling the message to love God with all of your heart. How many of you think that in your natural ability it's possible to love God with all of your heart? There's like everybody's going like, we're not sure. Only two lifted their hands. So, whoops, the third one took down the hand quickly. <clears throat> Let's go and read some scriptures. And um, I want to encourage us. You know, we have, we have choices to make in our lives. And those choices will determine where we're going to end. And not, not just about heaven or hell, but simply about the condition of what's happening inside. And as we looked at this movie, uh, it showed of this father who had to make a choice to sacrifice his son for the freedom of those on that train. And um, very few people on that train knew the sacrifice or were even aware. They were all ignorant, busy with their own things. And I think a lot of people today, because of religion and because of our culture, we have a cultural perception of God. And so we think that we actually know God by trying to bring God sometimes down to our own levels. But you know that God is outside of time. He's not outside of town. He's outside of time. And, he's, um, and he's, uh, we, we can't, our brains are too small to try to figure out who God is. And uh, that's why we must come like a child. But there's one guy who actually met with God and he saw the Lord and it had a profound impact on his life. Uh, in such a way that for the rest of his life he would preach to a hard-necked and stiff-necked group of people that didn't want to hear, but he was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he would talk about this God and he would say like, if you can only see this God, if you can only know who he is, then you will turn. But don't try to do it in your own strength. Don't try to do it because the pastor says so, but simply you need a revelation of who that God is. And so in Isaiah chapter 6, we see how... Isaiah meets with God and it comes at a certain time and I don't have time with this is not what the sermon is about but at a specific time this king died and and just for some homework go and find out who this king was and why he died and why the revelation could only come after the king died because this king had was doing certain things and he enforced a certain culture and the moment when he died suddenly the revelation came in the same way in our lives, sometimes some stuff of our culture must die. Sometimes things that we hold on to, it must die uh, before we can actually see God. Some things we need to lay down. Sometimes we need to say no to certain things. Uh, because God's revelation of who he is is not cheap. Unfortunately, especially in charismatic churches, like churches like ours, you know, we, we become very familiar with the things of God. Hey, God is my surf buddy, you know, God is my cool dude up there, you know, uh, but he is God, he's God of the universe, and he formed the universe, and he measures the universe in the palm of his hands, did you know that? That's like huge, <laughs> and so Isaiah saw this, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, say, saw the Lord, Yo, thank you for your enthusiasm, over there are at least five people here, I, he saw the Lord, I saw the Lord. Okay, this is, I saw the Lord, you know. 
Now all the free staters are using that, um, oh, that English deliciously, okay? I actually met with a guy here in the bank, working in the bank. He says, I'm never going to go back to Franschhoek because at 9 o'clock all my English is up for the day. And those uh, uh, tourists there in Franschhoek, they speak different kinds of English, you know. And um, so free staters just hang on to all the English here tonight. Okay, so I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You know, most of the Jews thought that when they would see God, they would die in God's fullness. You and I would actually, if God would reveal himself completely to us tonight, you would die on the spot. Your, your body cannot maintain and absorb the fullness of God's glory. He's such a light that most people that really saw him, like Saul on the road to Damascus, he was blind. Or people were, there were terrible things happening to people when they saw God in his fullness. And so here he says, he sees a picture of heaven. He says, above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And with one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's an exclamation mark, okay? Stefan, can you see, okay? That's how we should read scripture. You should offend the people around you when you read scripture because there's an exclamation mark there. It doesn't like, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, this is Isaiah, woe is me, for I'm undone. <laughs> Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It's, it's, it's one of a few places in Scripture where we see somebody seeing God, and the first reaction is, woe is me, I'm, I'm going to die now. <laughs> you know? Woe is me, I'm, I'm undone. You know, if, if a revelation of Christ, the goodness of God, of who he is in his fullness, doesn't lead you to repentance and realizing what, how bad you are as a person, then the gospel hasn't been preached. <laughs> Sorry. Because it's only God that's good. Did you know that? Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, only God is good, not you. Yo, some of you are pointing that finger and some of you are enjoying it too much, Okay. Remember, but here's this guy seeing God, and the crazy part about this seeing God is that, and if you look at all the scriptures that we see in the book of Revelations, the book of Daniel, which is like really like spiritual books, uh, there's not one worship song or one song that the angels sing, and it doesn't go like this. Oh, the Lord is good, and he is so pleasant towards his people, and he's recognizing all the needs of his people. Oh, how he loves them so. There's not one song in heaven being sung about the needs of the people around the throne room of God. And yet most of our worship songs these days goes about us and what God can do for us. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So you cannot talk about the love of God if you don't talk about his holiness. Sorry. Because the moment when we're talking about the love of God, how can we love God? Well, simply, you cannot love God in earthly terms. Because love is a loaded term. Love is like, hey, don't, 
Go and sleep with me. If you don't sleep with me, you don't love me. That's what the world says. Do you really love? Love is mostly an emotion, an emotion in the worldly terms. But in God's terms, it's completely something different. And that's what God invites us to, to a real, unconditional, agape love. To love Him, but only because He first loved us. Now look at some of the definition of this love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. It's not jealous for, for the state's people, free state's people. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endure all things. Love never fails. Whoa. Hello. <laughs> it's getting very quiet in here. Is there people out there? Hello. Is there people at the back row? But it's crazy God's definition of some of that love. But most of our love is a bit of jealousy, a bit of like, what can I get out of this? And if you love me, I love you back. And I love those who I really want to love. But God's love is completely different. And it's so amazing when you begin to open up your heart now, when I say, like, God loves you, you know, for me, it was very difficult because my father never told me he loved me until I was 21 years old. So when God started to say to me, hey, I love you, I thought, like, yo, it was just a hid knowledge thing until a tsunami broke over my life. God started to heal me of rejection and heal me of the fear of failure. And then suddenly I realized God really loves me. But not because of what I've done or what I'm about to do. And the amazing thing is, Wow, look, God is not going to love you more if you do more for him tomorrow. 30 years from now, his love is not going to change when you become a better Christian. Huh? Giannis? God loves you unconditionally. It's just your position towards that love. That's where it comes in. So, so there's a place where we can love God extravagantly. I love this word, extravagantly. <laughs> yeah? Extravagantly. Say to you, it's almost like scrumptious, but this is a better word, extravagantly, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say extravagantly. Okay. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, it says it, Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded. Listen to these words. Now, Paul, when he writes this, he uses like extreme terms. He says, I'm persuaded. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, when... You begin to discover who God is. You can live without restraint in an excessive or elaborate way with extreme, lavish surrender to Him. I always thought like God is this old man with a stick up there and He really wants to sort out my life. And if I'm good enough, then I get more ticks and then I'm going to get to heaven, you know. Not like ticks, not the stuff that bite you, the thing, the, the right marks, you know. Like that, goof, 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 goof. Okay, that was a flow joke. That was a flu joke, so let's go on. Okay, so extravagant to be able to be vulnerable before God. But we don't know that because you know what? When we get hurt through the world, what begins to happen is we, we put these gods around our heart. And we sort of like 
struggle to trust people and we sort of build our own individual little empire so that we can be independent from others and especially independent from God. And yet our country and our culture is in a mess. Today, less people get married than 10 years. Half of the people get married than what 10 years ago. People don't know what love is or commitment anymore in marriages. 65% of people in this nation get divorced. People don't know what a basic commitment to another person is anymore. Hello? So our family structure is falling apart. And when the family structure falls apart, you can know that the whole community, the whole civilization will start to crumble. And it's happening. It's happening all around us because there's no trust. There's no commitment in relationship anymore. So, so even as we're sitting here tonight, it's, it's challenging when I say God loves you. And more than that, if I say, hey, you must love God, you know, and how do you do that? Well, that's why we're in church. Don't you know, and say, look, that smile on your face. In 1 John 4, you can read the whole chapter. There's a couple of verses that really stands out because I always thought the opposite of fear is faith, but the opposite of fear is love. The opposite of fear is not to walk by faith. The opposite is, of fear is to walk in the love of God. And there's two kinds of fears that you can have in your life. The one is the fear of God, and the other one is the fear that the world brings. You can't have both of them together, you're either going to choose one of the two. You're either going to choose what other people think about you all the time, or you're going to say, I fear God, I trust God, I submit to Him first, because do you know what? He's trustworthy. The cross shows it. God is the only one that's really proven that He really loves you. Nobody else in this world has died for you. Maybe your mom suffered a little bit to get you here. You know, your dad, when he walked out of the hospital, he thought like, you know, he was just part of that. But really, no, he was just standing there, you know. It's amazing how the dads bring the babies out as if they delivered the babies, you know. Think like, no, no. Women just keep on being women. I mean, your pain threshold is much higher than men's. You know, we pass out just when we get into the hospital, not even when we have been in the hospital. But in any case, so 1 John 4, verse 16 to 19, and we have known and believed, we're persuaded, we know and we believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So God's motivation is love. He's, he's, he's the reason why I do stuff, his character is holiness. So you have to connect the two. You cannot say, he loves me, he loves me. I can just go on with my life, but I don't start to surrender to his holiness because holiness just means he's different. It's separate. He calls me to a separate, a different lifestyle because why do I live holy? It's so that I can walk in the fullness of his love, so that I can not just experience his love, but know and believe his love. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. So the perfection of love comes the day when you stand before Christ, then you're not going to be ashamed because he set you free. You're not going to be af afraid of God because, oh, you're going to hell. No, you have a boldness to stand before him because, you know, I've been set free by Christ and by his love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Violently casts out fear, some translation says, because fear involves torment, but he who fears 
has not been made perfect in love. And then it gives us a key. He says, we love him because he first loved us. God's choice first. He chose you before you chose him. Isn't, isn't that amazing? You and I think like, yeah, yeah, I've been here, you know. I'm so, I'm so cool because I made a choice. No, your grandmother made a choice for you. She prayed you into the church and into the kingdom, you know. Or your mom. No, no, no. God did. God chose and says, that one, I want her. That one, I'm choosing him. That one, wow. We can only love him because he made a choice first to love you. Wow. God will never ask you to do something that he has not done himself. I said it this morning, but you know, some people think that one day they're going to be able to stand before God and say, God, do you know what? You are unfair. I suffered more than what you suffered. And because of that, I can accuse you that you're not a good God. Huh. Sorry. Mm, failed that test. The cross. The word excruciating comes out of, ex, out of the crucifixion, out of the cross, the pain, the suffering, not just the physical suffering, the emotional suffering, the intense ability to take the sins of the world upon you when you are sinless, when you are not guilty and you come to a place and you say, I'm going to be guilty on his behalf and on her behalf. Sure. Not one person in this room will be able to say, God, you are unfair. God, the, the set of cards that you dealt me called life is unfair because Jesus died on a cross to set you free to give you hope to give you life from here from your heart to live out of that space you know I was um, telling a group of guys um, some of the second years you know the first night was just amazing we were camping now on Friday night and so just when we went to bed we were just going to sleep this is not the story. This is the story within the story. So it was 10 o'clock. We were all tired. The wind was blowing a little bit. And just when we went to sleep, the neighbors next door started their doof doof music. They did doof 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 doof. It was 10 o'clock. Around about 3.24 and 15 seconds, that's when they, AM, that's when they put off the music. I felt the most violent thoughts in my head of how you can burn down a tent with a piece of blitz. How the tree would fall on my enemy. You know, it's even a rhyme. You know? Then I was convicted. All the forgiveness scriptures, all the love scriptures, love your enemies. No, Lord, they're not my enemies. They're my... And then I couldn't get another word. And I realized, like, oh... But that's not the story I want to tell. The story I actually want to tell is sometimes God will test your love, you know. He will test you if you really love people. Because we just love people we want to love sometimes. Oh, I like that guy because I can get something from him. He'll be a good friend to me, so I'm going to love him. But, you know, um, um, Stephen Lungu tells a story of after the Rwandan genocide, what happened is almost a million people got killed through the Hutus and the Tutsis fighting each other violent violent death genocide and so two boys came running into this room where they were best friends with the son of this lady and they killed this the son they were best friends they played together they grew up together but because of violence and because of 
tribal stuff. The two sons, the neighbor's sons, ran into this mother's house, killed the son in front of her, chopped off his head, started to play soccer with the child's head in the garden, and eventually they were caught. Almost a million people got killed violently, the most brutal type of deaths. And so this two sons were in prison, and then the mom became a Christian, of whose son was dead, and she said, I want to reconcile. God told me I must go to those two boys that killed my own son. So to make a long story short, Stephen went with him into the prison. She met up with these two sons that killed a boy in front of her eyes and said, you know, you were like my own boys, but you, I'm just telling you, I met Christ. I want to forgive you. I want to release you from what you've done to my child. And more than that, she said, you know what? When you come out of prison, I'm going to adopt the two of you as my own children. And she did. And eventually they grew up, became an advocate and a doctor, and now they're looking after her. I'm thinking, like, what a story. It's just Jesus that can do that in somebody's heart. Just Jesus that can heal a heart like that. Just Jesus that can take your heart and mend it, even if it's hurt or it's painful. But that's the love. You can only love him because he first loved you. And this is a kingdom. God is busy doing things in our hearts to begin to love each other. And listen to this in John 15 verse 12. Because you cannot say you love God if you don't start by loving the people right here in your small group, in the people around you. And it's a sacrificial love. And that's why the concept of love in scripture is always sacrificially. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You're only going to love what you sacrifice for. You're only going to love what you sacrifice for. So some people think like, no, no, no. If, I'm, if I just stay around Jesus, I'm going to love him more. No, no. There's a sacrifice. There's something. There. I'm not talking about the gospel. The gospel is free. But you and I have to make a choice right there whether Jesus is going to be Lord of your life or not. And it's a tough question. Jesus did it with the disciples. The disciples came. They tried to catch fish. All night, Peter was there with the net, couldn't catch a fish. And uh, Jesus says, throw the net on the other side. And if I was Simon, I would have said, like, Jesus, you know what? You're a great guy, you know, but you're a carpenter. Stick to carpentry. I'm the fisherman, you know. You know, that's what you do. That's what we've done all our lives. We're fishermen. Now you come and tell me the next morning I must cast the net on the other side. Jesus, just, just, just stick to your business. And then he says, no, Lord, but at your word. And he went in and he threw the nets in. Caught like a massive heap of fish. They pulled out the fish. And do you know what Jesus does? He looks them in the eyes and then he starts to walk. He says, come, follow me. And he walks. I can just imagine Peter like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, um, drink a pineapple drink. Sit down quickly, just relax. You know, talk to the father, do something, you know, to keep yourself busy. I just want to sell all this fish, you know. But Jesus just walks. And so I can imagine Peter standing there and looking at all the fish, and there goes Jesus, looking at all the fish, and there goes Jesus. Now he has to decide. Am I going to follow the one who I'm going to trust with my life, or am I going to stay with the blessing? Many people want to stay with the blessing or the breakthrough that Jesus gives, but they don't want to follow him so that he can make them. 
But the greatest reward is to follow him. He says, come follow me, come, come and I will make you. I will show you. And Jesus had an intimate relationship with those disciples. That's why discipleship isn't done in a little lecture room. Discipleship is a life on life. And you need to make a choice to live in that way. John 15 verse 12 to 14 says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Whoa, that's impossible. That is impossible. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Okay, come on, let's stand. Everyone who wants to die for their friends, quickly in this group, will you please stand? <laughs> okay, anyone in this group, come on. This is what scripture says, come on. Thank you, Andre. Thank you, Theo. One or two people. But it, it, it's crazy. The standard of Jesus that he has for our relationships is unattainable. That's why we need him. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. The fruit of God's love, he measures it not in how many times you jump up and down, how many times you come on, let's worship together. No, simply by your obedience to him. Wow. That's what Jesus looks for. It's the fruit on your life. But he says, I, I command you. I don't, I don't, it's not the 10 suggestions. Have you seen there? <laughs> you, know? you know what? I was drinking. I was just busy the other day, says Jesus. And I was sitting around. And I was thinking, oh, I've got a suggestion for you as believers. No, no, just a thought. It maybe occurred to me. It occurred to me. My toeval vanavond, you know. Misschien is it toevallig. Misschien is it niet toevallig nie, you know. But has it occurred to you that nothing occurs to God? Uh, can I say that again? All the free state people have lost me, you know. Occur isn't like a Mazda car you drive, you know, or a Datsun. Occur, you know. Nothing occurs to God. Now all the free state people are going like, okay, let me Google that. But in any case, so. Sorry, Mupumalanga. Oh, did I say Mupumalanga people as well? But you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Peter says it. This loudmouth Peter, after he denied Jesus, ran away. He was such an individualistic guy. He writes, he says, above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. It's not saying we must forgive each other's sins, but he says, what you must do, it breaks the offense. There's going to be so many challenges in your heart. And this is how you practice. The more you practice to open up your heart to the people in your small group, the people first at church and then, then the world out there. When they offend you, when they don't answer your WhatsApps, you know, I'm sorry. I'm, I sometimes say, sorry, 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 sorry. I've said enough sorry for the year because I'm not good at replying at WhatsApp. And please don't read anything emotional into a WhatsApp, you know. Because people read stuff. I, I read this WhatsApp the other day and I thought like, you know, I didn't even put like an emoji next to the WhatsApp, you know. And they're reading, I, like, uh, this is like an angry WhatsApp. And I'm thinking like, what? People are just so oversensitive. Is it just me? You know? If you don't reply in 30 seconds, then people are like, what? They've rejected me for life. <laughs> the pastor really loves somebody else more than nobody loves me, you know. But see, that's why we need FaceTime with each other. That's why we need to fight to sit around the table with your friends. That's why you need to switch off your cell phone. Almost said whole phone. Cell phone, cell phone, yeah? 
Because it robs you of, of eye time with people around you. And it's the most valuable thing you have is FaceTime intimacy with Christ and FaceTime with your friends in that small group where you sit together and you share your hearts. But people don't know how to do that anymore. Because we've been conditioned to just do stuff on our own. Jesus says there's a greater love. There's a greater love. There's an amazing place where you and I can lay down our life for each other. It's sacrificially. <laughs> and to be intentional about those relationships. So I've got some homework for you. I want you to think of the three or four friends, maybe in your small group, people that you really, you know, they, they're good friends of you. But I, I want you to say to them, let's start to pray for each other. Because that's where it starts in your prayer life. Ask Holy Spirit, show me when Saki is in need so I can pray for him. And the Lord is going to begin to show you. The Lord is going to begin to birth in you a, a heart to love that person. Because what happens in prayer, what happens when you start to sacrifice for that person is God begins to show you who that person is. And you can begin to love that person so that they become it. It's the greatest gift. That's what Scripture says. Jesus he says to the husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Why? Because hey, he gave himself for her so that she can become. It's the greatest gift that we have as mankind to be able to create. And I'm going to say something controversial. But I'm going to say it in any case. God created male and female. And the most powerful tool that he's given us is to partake in the beauty of creation. Is to bring forth another human being. And the devil wants to distort it and the world wants to distort it. But that's a partnership with God. It's so amazing that God would decide that he will bring and present himself in the image of husband and wife to procreate. Doesn't matter what the world says, that's what the Bible says. There's marriage before God because it's covenant. It's the only thing that can procreate. And I'm not saying we should be nasty with anybody. But it's as simple as that. That's how God made us. And it's beautiful. But the devil wants to rob you through pornography, through lust, through cheap sleeping around, through all that nonsense. Why? Because he wants to rob you of pure intimacy. And the moment when it starts there, when you lose your purity there, what begins to happen is you lose your purity with God. You lose your purity with friends around you. And there's some of you that needs healing tonight. And do you know what? God is going to heal you. He's going to purify your heart. And it's going to be so beautiful that when your bride walks down the aisle or when your husband stands there, it's going to be the most awesome day of your life. Because maybe you've messed up, but God has brought purity. Because out of his presence flows a purity. And out of that purity flows a power. People want the power of God, but then they don't want to be in his presence. And they don't want the purity of God. And sorry, you can't get it. You can jump up and down and you can have thousands of people in the church, but it still doesn't mean God's power will be there. You can have massive churches and the best band and all that running around and all that stuff, but there will be no change of lives because there's no holiness and there's no purity. Sorry, I'm saying it as the gospel says it. <laughs> Thank you for that. Amen. Hallelujah. It's getting very quiet in here. John 13 verse 35 says, By this the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's a love that is so much deeper. It's a love that goes past offense. It's not jealous. It's not, but it's something God must birth in your heart because most of us, we want to we first be loved by other people. And God says, I want to give you the ability to start to love them. 
Yeah, but Lord, this cell group, you know, this small group, they're, they're quite messy, you know. They're not my type of people, you know. They're prophetic, you know. And they swing from the chandeliers. They, they're just different, you know. You know. But, but don't wait, Saki, where's Saki? Saki's going to do a butterfly out of the cocoon dance at the end of the service for us. Saki, Saki. <clears throat> and, um, and then he's going to pray in English. Hallelujah. He's been sweating for five days after I made that joke. Because <laughs> he uh, used English as a defense mechanism. But in any case, so. But we, we, we think, but the beauty of, of something is when you can have friends that are completely different than you. But you know what the world does through racism, through division, through the biggest nonsense is just say like, let's just divide. Let's keep people at a distance. Then he starts the same in our families. He starts the same because he didn't never have the beauty of actually relating to people and loving people that are much different than you. Whose cultures may be completely different. And that's why you should go on missions. I tell you, you should go on missions because you're going to realize that God actually works differently in other places. It's the same God, but he doesn't. He's not a respecter of your and my culture. Hmm? It's not always sunny side up, you know. How do you want your eggs done? Sunny side up on toast with two pigs of bacon. No, some people eat with their hands and it's messy, you know. And you must pray for that food as well because there's chilies in there, you know. But then you realize how much you need God, you know. But you know what we want to do is we want to box God in. That's, we, we, we become masters of controlling our environment because we taught that from school. We don't know how to be vulnerable. We don't know how to open up our hearts with each other. We're so afraid that what if they're going to really see what happens in our heart? And that's why church is so important. That's why a small group is so important. That's why learning to love each other. And you must just go to your friend and say, look, I'm messy and I don't like this. But you know what? The Bible commands me to love you. <laughs> Will you please practice loving me back? I'm going to practice on you. And it, you know, church should be messy, you know. Some, some churches looks like a mortuary, you know. It's like everything is cold and clinical and everything is like put together. One song here, two songs there, five bows there, you know. <laughs> Six sprinkles there, you know. And it's like, okay, now we're all going to go home. Yeah? I'm not saying they're not people that are safe, but if you really want a relationship, you're going to get offended in that relationships. If you're really going to live close enough to people, hey, wait till you get married. There's one guy. He's not here tonight, but he's, he's a coach for one of the Springboks teams. He spoke to the young working people the other day. He's here with us in church, one of these coaches. And he said he comes back from, um, from overseas traveling, and he thinks his relationship with his wife is the, at top notch. It's amazing, you know? So they sit at the restaurant. They drink coffee. And the first words his wife says to him is, I just want to tell you that I'm in this relationship and I'm going nowhere. I will fight for this relationship even if there's nothing left because it feels to me there's nothing left. And he thinks it's like, he thinks just like, whoa, it's going great, you know. And then you like, what? They just won the world series. Oh, now you know who it is. But in a case, so, yeah. And so, so you, sometimes then you think like, why am I so offended? Why do I, you know, because... You allow somebody to come close enough to you, to see all your weaknesses, to see all your good stuff. But you know, we, what we do with Instagram and everything is we just pretend. 
We're masters at pretending. We've become the great pretending generation. And most of it is fake. But God says, come, I'm going to show you. And you know what? I'm going to use another bunch of broken people with you. It's going to teach you how to love. And are you going to get offended? 500 times. Are you going to need to forgive? 70 times, 7 times. Are you going to want to run out of that small group all the time? Because, yay. Because when you come close enough, you're going to realize that some people's breath stink. Okay, that was just on the side. But in any case, so just wanted to make sure you're awake. Above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. The thing that scares me a little bit, I must say, it's a command. It's not like, think about doing it, you know. Think about having community. Think about, and that's why I'm, I'm actually speaking a bit of a prophetic word tonight because of a broken generation and the generations that are coming, we need to gear up as the church. We cannot play church, church anymore. We need the Holy Spirit to come and heal and to shed the love of God abroad in our hearts. Listen to this in 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 to 4. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. So, sorry, the prosperity teachers, sorry, Paul doesn't agree with you. Because people say like, in the last days, everything is going to be hunky-dory. It's going to be amazing. You're going to just have these amazing worship experiences with God. And you know what? Jesus is going to just keep you away from a broken world. But know this. That in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters. Now just see if you can recognize something in our culture. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, <coughs> unthankful. No, don't worry, my children are not yet. <coughs> unthankful, yeah? Unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. The love of the world has a form of godliness. It actually looks attractive. It actually looks like pleasurable. Because you know what? You're not going to do sin if it's not nice to do sin. <laughs> But sin means to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye, to miss God's purpose for your life. That's why we sin. It's just a distraction. It's something else. That guy's struggling with alcohol, but he's actually got such a capacity to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to drink of the Holy Spirit. The devil just came to lie to him and say, hey, go, go and get that. And that's why God is calling a holy generation a revolution, a cultural. You know, Jesus was a cultural revolutionary. Jesus had no respect, a little bit of respect, but very little respect for traditions that kept people out of intimacy with God. We see that. This woman comes to him with this alabaster flask full of very expensive oil. The Pharisees are standing there, and she is most probably getting that oil from prostitution. She comes into the presence of Jesus and she begins to worship him. She takes the oil, she throws it, at it on his feet. She washes her hair. She comes from behind. She washes her hair, that oil with his feet. And the Pharisee says, well, if he only knew who this woman was. You know, if you, the other says, well, oh, very expensive. You should not have wasted all that oil. We could have given it to the poor. And Jesus says, this woman, 
all generations will hear of her because she's a true worshiper. God is bringing a revival and it's slowly starting to happen, but it's a group of people that are loving God with all of their hearts. They've learned to circumcise their hearts. They've learned to surrender their hearts. They've learned to bring their brokenness before him and just weep between the porch and the altar because it's not a religious thing anymore. Because you can jump up and down and still be very religious. And religious just means you have a form of godliness, meaning you keep God at a distance. You're a master at keeping God up there. And there's some of you that haven't spoken to God for a long time, but tonight you need to start. Tonight the Holy Spirit is going to help you. He says there's a form of godliness, but there's no power in it. Romans 5 verse 5, now hope does not disappoint. So in Romans he writes, he says, God has given us the keys. It's because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit was given to us. Talks in, talking in the context of persecution. Talking in the context of the world falling apart. He says the Holy Spirit is going to give you an ability to love. It's not going to come from yourself. It's going to come when you surrender and say, God, less of me, more of you. Lord, I want to be an instrument to be used by you. Because the world out there is broken. And I'm not saying go now tomorrow with every beggar on the street and give, open up your pocket and give them all your money. That is very dumb. Just on the side. Don't give somebody that's trapped in drugs. Don't give them money. Give them food. Give them clothes, you know. Because there's a lot of con artists. I see them walk around and then every student pulls out 200 rand. Some of them earn 1,500 rand a day. <laughs> because they play on your guilt. You know, they make you feel guilty. But give them food. Give them clothes. And more than that, study hard so that you can give them a job. That's what you must trust God for. But most people just give people on the street food because they just want to get rid of them. Don't give them, don't give them money. You're messing up their lives by giving people on the street money. But give them love, respect, honor them. You know, I have there from the office, I walk sometimes there into town. It, I call it my persecution road because I've been around here for a couple of years. So all the people on the street knows my name. Yes! Yes! <laughs> just, <you> know, <laughs> it's, I feel like I'm persecuted. I just want to go get a coffee, you know. <laughs> and then it feels like all the people attack me. Hey, Dumini, call me Dumini, you know. And then, <laughs> and then you know, oh. It's tough sometimes. But you know what? I'm never allowed to be disrespectful because each one of those people have been created in the image of God. God loves them. But in my natural, I can't love Claude. I, I just can't love him. I want to hit him. If Claude had a tent, I would burn down his tent long ago. But you know, when you position yourself to begin to live in a community where you experience that love and where you become intentional about those relationships around you because you have to practice it. Some of you come out of good homes where your family really taught you and your dad told you and your mom told you every day, I love you, I love you. And so you're privileged. But lots will be required of you. I remember there was one guy that um, was here in church, an engineer. And um, when I met him the first time in, in the first year, the, the Lord told me, just give him a hug. And he just stood up straight. He did not respond. Just like. <laughs> so 
So I would hug him, and he was just like. And I hugged him for four years where he never responded. At the end of his fourth year, he just one day broke down, started to weep. He says, I resisted the love of God for four years in this church. But I don't know what's wrong with these men. They all hug me all the time. (laughs) Some people take a while before that wall breaks. But you know, you're going to determine the choices that you and I make. And some of us resist that. But God says, I want to pour my love into your heart first to love him. Don't try in your own strength. You can't love God. You can't love the way that he requires, the agape love, but he's going to give you that ability when you become honest, when you surrender, when you start to worship him. Will you stand with me tonight? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.